Uh, let's open up our Bibles to the book of Acts. With everything going on today, thanking God, we're not in the book of Habakkuk. Sorry, that was a bad joke, obviously. Nobody left. I've entitled our message today, Check Your Heart. Check Your Heart. We've been going through the book of Acts together since August of last year. And uh, we plan on wrapping up the book of Acts by the year 2027. And so we're excited to take this journey together in the book of Acts. I don't know if it'll take that long, but we're in no rush. There's a lot to cover here. And as we've been celebrating, we've been seeing stories of how God's Spirit is working through God's people, unleashing God's movement around the world. And how exciting has it been today to see God's movement here in this place today, right? And so praise God that He is on the move. And as we have been walking through the book of Acts, we have been praying and asking for the Lord. Lord, we don't want to just preach Acts We don't want to just read and study Acts. We want to live Acts. And so as I shared with you guys, we had two baptisms last week. And then we kind of set up this baptism Sunday for this week. I shared, I said, man, I don't know about y'all, but when I read in the book of Acts, day by day, people were meeting Jesus. Day by day. And so I got to believe that if that's 365 days, we could perhaps celebrate Because it's not like the book of Acts ended. No, we are Acts 29. We are the continuation of the gospel advancing from Jerusalem to Judea, Samaria, to the ends of the earth. Praise God, the gospel is here in Pittsburgh today. The book of Acts did not cease. And we can believe in Jesus' name for 52 baptism Sundays each year. And So let me read the text. I'm going to take a a little bit of a different approach with this week's sermon, knowing that we had so many things going, and I'm going to not necessarily go verse by verse and breaking this down, but I've got some things for us to consider. And I pray that at the end of the day, through this message, that we would all be checking our heart. And so let's look in the Word of God, Acts chapter 8, verse 9. We've just come off of reading Acts chapter 7, walking through that where we saw Stephen rise up for Jesus, deliver an incredible sermon, but then be killed in the name of Jesus. And what the world might have thought was the end to this movement was actually an unbelievable launch pad. And as the church began to scatter, the church kept preaching. God started moving, and if you go and you just rewind one verse as Philip goes to preach the gospel in Samaria, and people start receiving Jesus, people start being healed in the name of Jesus, it says, there was great joy in that city. Can we pray for that here in Pittsburgh? I don't know what city you're rolling in, but I don't see a lot of joy necessarily every day in this city. I pray that we would see great joy, not joy because we got finally what our, you know, what we've been asking our parents to give us, not joy because the Steelers won their 75th Super Bowl, but joy because of Jesus. Let's continue on in the story. Verse 9 says, but there was a man named Simon, 
Simon, very popular name. This is not Simon Peter. This is another Simon who had previously practiced magic in the city. And amazed by the people, and amazed the people of Samaria, saying that he himself was somebody great. They all paid attention to him from the least to the greatest, saying, This man is the power of God that is called great. And they paid attention to him because for a long time he had amazed them with his magic. Let's not forget, as we learned last week, the enemy is what? Great. The enemy's great. He works and moves in so many different ways, and he's trying to establish his kingdom on earth. But praise God, our God is greater, right? The enemy might be great. Well, here is someone who's being used by the enemy in even supernatural ways, and that's what the enemy can do. The enemy can disguise himself, even in righteousness at times, even in miracles at times, for the enemy is great. Now check this in verse 12. But when they believed Philip, who was already in Samaria, as he preached the good news about the kingdom of God and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized, both men and women. Even Simon, this magician, this sorcerer, believed. And after being baptized himself, he continued with Philip. And seeing signs and great miracles performed, Simon, right, was amazed. So just think about what's happened here. All the people were amazed by Simon and quote-unquote his earthly powers. Here's one who's been doing some pretty miraculous things, although batting for another team. And he is now one who is a follower, and we're going to talk about that, of Christ, and one who is amazed at what Christ is doing in and through people like Philip. So we see this unbelievable transformation. It says in verse 14, Now, when the apostles at Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, remember the great persecution that came upon the church in Jerusalem, and it said in the text that it scattered all the people, but the apostles stayed in Jerusalem. They stayed kind of at ground zero. Man, it's so inspiring watching this Ukrainian president. So the apostles are staying at ground zero, in the heart, in the, the middle of the warfare, in the middle of the persecution. But man, they get news that God is moving in Samaria. God is moving in Samaria. Man, praise the Lord that Jesus, what you declared to us, that we will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on us and we will be witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. God, when you make a promise, you deliver. So we want to be part of that action. We want to jump in head first to what you're doing in Samaria, God. And so they sent to them Peter and John. 
<laughs> this is the starting five. These are some primetime players right here. They bring in Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. We'll talk a little bit about that. I, I don't have time to go into every detail of this, but we'll talk about receiving the Holy Spirit. It's so essential to who we are in Christ. Verse 16, for he had not yet fallen on any of them, but they had only been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then they laid their hands on them, and they received the Holy Spirit. Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was given, this is Simon the sorcerer, that the Spirit was given through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give me this power also, so that anyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> Let's tick Peter off. We go into the Greek on Peter's answer to this. because This is kind of how vintage rolls. We're not so churchy. I'll tell you what the direct translation actually is. Peter looks at Simon, and he basically says, may your silver perish with you. If you go and really study the Greek and everything, he says, to, the hell, to hell with your money. That's what he says. He's ticked that somebody would have the audacity to do this. Because you thought you could obtain the gift of God with money, you have neither part nor lot in this matter, for your heart, everybody touch your heart right now, check your heart, so now like, oh snap, Pastor Rob thinks I'm Simon the Magician, he's coming after me this week, just hang tight before you leave, I know we got a big crowd here that we got to beat to the restaurants for lunch. God's got something special for our hearts. He wants our hearts today. Peter here says, check your heart, for your heart is not right before God. Repent, therefore, of this wickedness of yours, and pray to the Lord that, if possible, the intent of your heart may be forgiven you. For I see that you are in the gall of bitterness and in the bond of iniquity. And Simon answered, pray for me to the Lord, that nothing of what you have said may come upon me. Now, when they had testified and had spoken the word of the Lord, they returned to Jerusalem, preaching the gospel to many villages of the Samaritans. Unfortunately, we spent a lot of time examining other people's hearts. It's now kind of embedded within our whole culture. There used to be a time and day when 
everybody's stuff wasn't in front of everybody's stuff. I personally wish I lived in that era. I get overwhelmed all the time. And how many people can have access to me? How many people expect access to me? And some of you are like, well, you're a terrible pastor, Rob. Well, yeah, I got things I got to deal with too. It's overwhelming at times. It's overwhelming to stay locked in with people. But sadly, instead of us just being curious or us wanting to know, it's turned, especially in our world, into toxic judgment. And around every corner of every sphere of life, our worlds are in each other's worlds. And we automatically come to conclusions. It can be because we've said something. It could be because of the way in which we look as we post something. It could be the mere fact that we're just in somewhat connection with something. Therefore, we've been dubbed as something. Anybody willing to admit that you've also fallen into this trap of judging? Anybody? And if you're not right now, I am judging you. Because we all do it. We are not ultimately spiritual. Can any one of you see the heart? But God does. And what I want to encourage us to maybe consider here, we're going to consider three, four different people here, and then we're going to land the plane by considering ourselves. Before, perhaps, maybe if we've come into this text or we're at this stage of life, whether it be politically, whether it be in regards to anything that's going on in our world today, and we have already picked up the stone to throw it. I pray that we would first consider ourselves. For God wants to do a work in us today. Check your heart. The first person that I want to consider as we get ready to consider ourselves is Simon the Magician. Here in the text, we're introduced to Simon the Magician. I love how one commentary broke down Simon's story briefly here in Acts. There's the pride of Simon. He's a sorcerer, arrogant, boastful, claiming to be great. The popularity of Simon. Many people in Samaria believed his claims. The profession of Simon. Amazed by Philip's miracles, Simon accepts Christ and is baptized. The perversion of Simon. He attempts to purchase the power that Philip has so that he can bestow the Holy Spirit to new converts. The punishment of Simon. Peter warns Simon. That he is being controlled by Satan. And then the plea of Simon. He begs Peter to pray for him. I like that because there's alliteration and I love alliteration. I believe alliteration is anointed by God. Plus I'm not that smart. I can't memorize things without it. If you go into church history, Simon the magician, Simon the sorcerer was well known all over the world. This was one serious dude. Justin Martyr, who was, by the way, from Samaria, wrote this about Simon the Magician, that he was considered 
as he even visited Rome, to be a god. Simon is known, as you go, if you've studied in terms of different uh, philosophies and religions, he's known to be one of the founders of Gnosticism. Gnosticism is the belief that human beings contain a piece of God, or the highest good and divine spark, as they would like to say, within themselves, which has fallen from the immaterial world into the bodies of humans. He believed he had a divine spark. So who was Simon? Number one, he was a man of great evil. Now remember, I'm not doing this because four fingers are pointing back at us. I love it when I meet people that say, I'm just not good enough for vintage church. I'm like, you have no idea the losers that are part of this church. <laughs> Come and join Loserville. For at the core, every single one of us have been brought into this world evil. I hate to say it. Like, I, I fully expected my three boys to come into this world sinners. But when I had my fourth, this daughter, and she came out, she looked so gorgeous like her daddy. I was like, man, there's no way this girl's going to sin. And you never guess this. I didn't have to teach her to sin. She's a cute little sinner. Because of the fall, we've all fallen short of the glory of God, and we all are separated from God and declared unrighteous before God. Simon, yes, was a man of great evil. But he was also a man in this text. We'll talk a little bit later in terms of what some people would argue in regards to Simon's life. Is he saved or is he not? I'm going to right now read the text. It says that Simon believed and was baptized. Anyone in this house thankful that despite your evil when you trusted in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior and were baptized in the name of Jesus, Jesus saved you. Anyone thankful? I know I am. Well, Pastor Rob, he just wasn't. Look, it's proof. He was evil. I mean, I'm like, oh, well, I guess I'm out. I mean, the only person in this room, because I pick on him every week, that's been perfect since he was saved is Josiah. None of us are perfect even after we receive Christ. I'm as desperate for the grace of Jesus today after being saved at the age of seven as I was at the age of seven in need of salvation in Jesus. For Simon believed and was baptized and amazed. <laughs> amazed by the wonder and majesty God. But yes, Simon got power hungry. Maybe it was. He was losing business, so he saw a better business. I don't know his heart. But I know what we have in text and what he asked for, and he thought that he could, after being saved by grace through faith in Christ alone, he thought he could buy this power. 
So he needed to repent. Um, Raise your hand in the house today if you're a sinner. Anybody a sinner in the house? All right, I just needed to do that in case somebody's here and you obviously look at me and think I'm perfection. All right? Raise your hand in the house if after trusting in Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you've needed to repent. Anybody in the house? All right, so consider Simon. Consider Simon. Let's consider, secondly, Philip. Let's consider Philip. I got to go faster here, but let's talk a little bit about Philip, and and maybe we'll even talk about Philip some more next week as we hear an amazing story of God using Philip to lead someone to Jesus in the desert. And so maybe we'll talk more about, but here's three things. Number one, when I think about Philip, I consider Philip, he first was faithful with little. So, everybody look at me. Philip is one of the deacons that the Spirit of God led the disciples to lay hands on to care for those who were hungry, those who were widows, those who were in need. What did we just read last week about Philip? Dude is healing and casting out demons. Homeboy went from janitor to preacher. And y'all know this to be true. Why would God trust you with a lot when he can't trust you with a little? Some of you are kind of new, you're young adults, and I'm just telling you right now, you're like, oh, when I get that job and I finally have a ton of money, then I'll be generous to God and his church. No, you won't. No, you won't. (laughs) It's hard for a rich man to enter the kingdom of heaven. More money, more problems. The little that God has for you right now. You might say, well, look, I only know right now how to serve within the church to get here early and to just be available to, like, make sure the rows are straight because Pastor Rob has an OCD issue with rows and, and make sure that coffee is this and, and all this. And, and I just feel like I'm not doing a whole lot. I should be up on stages and I should be, like, healing and this and all this. And may I submit to you, Philip was first faithful with little. Number two, about Philip, said I was going to go faster. He loved to tell people about Jesus. (laughs) Do you know, I've found this. People who've been loved much, love much. And man, Philip just was crazy passionate. He's sitting here going, oh, snap. My homeboy, Stephen, who was also a deacon, just got killed. He and that sacrifice, man, everybody in the world needs to hear about how much we love Jesus and that it's worth the sacrifice. So here I go. Boom. I'm going to Samaria. And as he scattered, it says over and over, he preached the good news, preached the good news, preached the good news. So when someone comes up to you and says, hey, man, something's changed in your life. Oh, yeah, you know, I'm taking these classes and I'm on my Peloton three times a day. Or No, Jesus has changed my life. And what Jesus has done for me, he can do the same for you. This was Philip. And then I love this. He opened his life to others. In the text, which has got to be a little bit intimidating, 
as he's preaching the gospel in Samaria. Remember, Simon is someone who is known really well as a magician, all the way to Rome and back. And Simon believes and is baptized, and look in the text. It says, and then Simon followed Philip, which meant Philip didn't say, be gone. I'm scared of you. Don't put any hocus pocus on me. He celebrated, and he said, follow me as I follow Christ. Man, as I consider Philip, I'm challenged in my own heart to say, man, who am I saying, follow me as I follow Christ? Would I, if God so used me to lead that neighbor that I hate to Jesus? Uh-oh, now we're getting personal. Would I embrace my new brother in Christ in such a way that I would even invite that brother in Christ into my home so that I can also show the ways of Jesus? Y'all with me? All right, stop doing this. Social media viewing. This person's doing this. Can't believe this person said this. Why'd they wear that? There needs to be some heart check going on. Consider, thirdly, Peter and John. Peter and John. Uh, these are two of the top dogs, right? Peter, James, and John. Jesus brought in place. We know Peter. Peter was, you know, a leader of the church. And we also love Peter. That's my dude. Because Peter was an absolute screw-up all the time. Put his foot in his mouth, denied Christ. I can't really relate to guys that just don't mess up. But Peter is absolutely 100% the reason why I'm even attempting in the power of God to be a pastor. Because if God can use Peter, he can use me. And that's what God does. He does for us what we cannot do for ourselves. We know in terms of John... And his impact. Well, um, we also read in the book of Acts, Peter and John were together. In Acts chapter 3, they're used by God to heal a man who's been crippled since birth. And so, one of the things that you'll read about that's really interesting, I want you to know in the first place when you consider this story, they were given a second chance. For one of their first interactions with Samaria... Jesus preached in Luke about this. You must deny yourself, take up your cross, and follow me. And then this thing, I don't have time to explain it, called the transfiguration takes place. If you keep going on in the text, in Luke chapter 9, if you go all the way, you might want to write this down and read it later. Luke chapter 9, verse 51 through 56, Jesus, in a sense, sends the disciples to consider Samaria, and because of the Samaritans' mean response to Jesus' rejection, you know what the disciples say? Let's call, much like God had to send fire down with Elijah on Mount Carmel, let's call fire down to destroy the Samaritans. Not real Christian-like. Don't y'all think it's amazing that our God is a God of second chances? <laughs> For here they are, post-Jesus' death, burial, resurrection, and they're calling for a different kind of fire right now, that Holy Spirit fire. 
saying, Holy Spirit, would you unleash your truth, love, and community into the people of Samaria. Thank you, God, for not answering my prayer way back there. Anybody else willing to say that in their story? God, thank you for not listening to my flesh, listening to my sin. Thank you for not obliterating me. Thank you, God, for being a God of second chances. I pray that we would be a church filled with celebration of second chances. Amen? I got no time for this. I want to be a part of this. Thank you, God, for this. They were given a second chance. Secondly, they anticipated greater things. These suckers had been a part of some pretty great things. Pentecost. Healing of a crippled man. And yet they still come to Samaria, and I love the way in which they pray. They pray, God, would you pour out your spirit? Might you pour out your Holy Spirit? Which means what? We can't guarantee any preacher that tells you they can guarantee run. They're trying to be God for you. They can't. When it comes to the Holy Spirit, I'm going to give you a little pneumatology 101 real quick. Everyone who knows Jesus Christ as Lord and Savior, you have the full-throttled relationship and empowerment of the Holy Spirit within you. Amen? That's why I'm not just in my roots Baptist. I'm Bapticostal. I'm a huge Holy Spirit fan, nothing without the Holy Spirit. For he does for me. He's the great helper. He does for me what I cannot do for myself. Well, every person in Christ has the Holy Spirit within them. But this second pouring out of the Holy Spirit, for even Jesus kind of at times, if you go to Matthew chapter 10, Matthew chapter 9, Matthew chapter 10, I don't understand why Jesus did it. Would all y'all say that Jesus loves the whole world? Everybody agree? Okay, everybody's nodding. Jesus loves the whole world. No, he doesn't love Ravens fans. Okay, well maybe Jesus loves the whole world though. Do you know at one point Jesus told the disciples, hey, I want you to go to the house of Israel, but don't go to the Samaritans. Why was he doing that? Did he not love the Samaritans? No, it's because his ways are not our ways. We'll never understand why God decides to pour out, why God decides to do this, why God, I planted a church in the city of New Orleans in 2008. After 10, 11 plus years of ministry, we moved 13 times in eight years. We finally built a building. I had a green room. I had a coffee maker in my office. This was sweet. I didn't get to enjoy the very room that I had the privilege of building because God told me and my family, you're going to Pittsburgh. God, did you not follow my whiteboard plan? that I had, I'm supposed to sit and enjoy my green room. There's cookies in there, and it's about me. God does what he does when he does it. So what are the disciples praying for? They're anticipating greater things. Yes, we're all filled with the Holy Spirit upon conversion, but the Holy Spirit doesn't just come within 
He comes upon. And can I tell you what I beg Jesus through the power of the Holy Spirit to do each and every Sunday when we gather? To come upon us. And he doesn't always come upon us when, he, when we tell him to. But that's faith. Anybody prayed for healing in their life of something? And God hasn't necessarily agreed with your timeline on it. That's faith. But he invites us to pray. And anyone thankful that he invites us to pray? Anyone thankful that no matter what we bring to him, no matter how hard it might be, that if he was to answer that prayer, all things are possible in Christ Jesus? So as I consider Peter and John, I love that even despite all their history of not liking the Samaritans, they rock in the Samaria and say, all right, I'm going to pray that the Holy Spirit might pour out his spirit upon you. And God does. Lastly, we know this. They boldly defended the truth. They boldly defended the truth. This was a critical time in the early church. And because Simon the magician was a well-known person, I believe that Peter and John believed that this was a moment, even if it was unpopular, even if it was hard to do, it was a moment where they needed to stand up for the purity of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And they needed to make it known, even to, in my opinion, this new young believer, that you cannot buy this according to worldly standards. For the gospel of Jesus is for by grace, through faith, in Christ alone. You cannot manipulate these Holy Spirit moments. I think it's kind of dumb to say we're going to have a revival. You don't know when revival is going to happen. And I grew up a revival kid. It's great to anticipate revival, but I can't promise you revival, for that is the work of God. And in this moment, this bold reprimand of Simon the magician was a moment to make sure that the people of God focused on God and his glory. Above all. So as the band comes up, consider yourself. All right, we've just done this, which we do every day on social media. Can't believe that person. I hope this week, after you roll out of bed and you look through everybody's brilliant posts on Twitter that are clearly saving the world. And under how many characters. And then there's those really annoying people that do seven posts. It's like, write a blog. Stop filling up Twitter. See, we do this. I pray that maybe after a moment of, everybody look at me, looking at this war. Between Russia and Ukraine. Yes, that we would be angry at Russia, at Putin, but we'd also.
also maybe reflect on the times in our lives where maybe even just verbally we waged war with a neighbor. And we pray for the people of Russia. Have, have you prayed for Putin? Consider yourself. First of all, as we consider Simon, consider your salvation. Now, there's arguments between great, smarter men than me and commentaries and have more degrees than they know what to do with that some would say Simon was never actually saved. He was a false convert, and there's proof. And ah, I'm just telling you, I don't think I'm in that camp. Because the text says he believed and was baptized. I think this was more of a situation in regards to he was a believer, but in his immaturity in his faith, because he hadn't yet grown. Anybody thankful for God's patience in your life? That after you met Jesus, God was patient and maybe you made some poor decisions and you thought it was like, oh, I got Jesus now, so I should be able to, you know, buy my way into this power or do this or whatever else, but you learn, man, this sanctification thing takes a long time, and man, I've made some mistakes, and man, I need God's grace as much now as one who is saved by Jesus as I needed Jesus to save me. But regardless, I think this is an opportunity for us to consider our salvation. And I do want to ask everybody here in this room to consider how were you saved? I want you to know you can know that you know that you know that you're saved. But religion, everybody look at me, religion doesn't save you. That identity with a church or that identity with a religion doesn't save you. I wish it did. I wish Vintage had the authority to just say, that person saved, that person saved, that person saved. I definitely would try and have more New Orleans Saints fans in our church. But I can't. The church can't save you. Here's another thing. Listen to me. Emotion can't save you. Man, I could... I could dial up an amazing moment. Have y'all noticed that since Jake has started to play the keys, I sound more spiritual right now? Have y'all noticed that? You're like, oh, Pastor Rob, he wasn't sounding so spiritual, but those keys are making him sound so spiritual right now. I could put a, a picture of a puppy dog on the screen to make sure that everyone here is crying. I could manipulate some emotions don't save you, Jake. Emotions matter, but they don't save you. Do, you. do you know this also? Influence and power as your reason to come to Jesus can't save you. And so it might be true that Simon Magician was going out of business because Philip and his dudes were more powerful and people stopped coming to him, the magician. And so they, he was like, well, I'm going to go and join that team because that team will put me in their same camp and everybody will come to me and maybe that was his motivation only God knows the heart and he could have just gone through the motions 
much like you in your life. You could have just made a religious decision, an emotional decision, a manipulative decision. If I get Jesus, then I get this instead of I just want Jesus. All to Jesus I surrender. What matters most is do you know that you know Jesus? And I want you to know you can know that you know Jesus. There's so many examples of understanding this in God's word. There's not only knowing that you have faith in Jesus, as it talks about in 2 Corinthians, to test yourself. There's after receiving Jesus Christ and obedience to Jesus, because faith without works is dead. You need to be asking yourself, if there's no change in your life, there might not be a change in your heart. There's conviction confession, repentance. If you claim you know Jesus and you're living in sin right now and you don't feel a pain in your life right now, not because of getting in trouble, but because you're grieving the Holy Spirit within you right now, it's okay for you to start thinking, maybe I don't love Jesus in my heart. Are you growing in Jesus? you becoming like him? Some of y'all have known Jesus for 10 years. Are you more like him than you were 10 years ago? Do you love God? Do you love people? Lastly, do you have a peace that passes understanding? Consider your salvation. Every head bowed and every eye closed. Will you trust Jesus. This week in our V groups, I'm going to ask you to consider two other things, your relationships and your commission in our V groups. But I feel led by the Holy Spirit to lock in right now in your salvation. We already have people lined up to be baptized in the next couple weeks, and maybe right now will be a moment of salvation in your life, trusting in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior. And so right now, you'd say, Pastor Rob, as we've considered Simon, as we've considered Philip, as we've considered Peter and John, I've considered myself. And right now, I trust in Jesus as my Lord and Savior. With every head bowed and every eye closed, would you boldly lift up your hand right now and say, that's me. Anybody here today? Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. at work. Church, let's stand to our feet. And let's not rush this. Let's sing this song to the Lord. God's altar is open. His promise is true. As we consider ourselves, let's worship.